Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back. And now joining us is uh, Catherine Ramsland. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our talk. Um, so I noticed you've, um, you're working on more books as usual, and uh, you've got a new one coming out with uh, Mark Safarik, uh, Spree Killers. Um, what made you do yes, that? It actually, yeah, it actually came out this week. Oh, it did. So it's out. I'm it's sitting right here in front of me. And uh, what made me do it? Yeah. And um, that is an interesting question because Mark Safrick, a former FBI profiler, had been part of an FBI um, initiative to bring together all kinds of serial killer experts because they wanted to relook at their definition of a serial killer since they had many complaints over the years. And so they brought in all these, these experts in 2005 and Mark was part of that, that, uh, the organizational committee. And in this meeting, they removed spree killer from the multicide classification system because they thought it really had no use for law enforcement. And I, I teach a course on extreme offenders, and I thought they were totally wrong about that, uh, because there is a different psychology for a spree killer than for a mass murder, which is four, at least four murders in a, a single locale, pretty short-lived incident, um, versus serial killers, which is now, now, according to the new definition, at least two murders in two different events. Um, and then street killers, which is sort of like a mass murderer strung out over geography and over time. 
So there's a different psychology, so it was relevant to my class. Anyway, Mark and I would get together from time to time and discuss this because he agreed with me it was a mistake. So all of a sudden, in 2018, this, um, this killer in Arizona began moving around, picking off people who were related to his divorce, him as Dwight Lehman Jones. He killed a forensic psychiatrist who had said he'd be dangerous. <laughs> Obviously right. He killed the uh, two paralegals who were in the law office uh, of the attorney for his wife. He killed a life coach who was in a, an office that had something to do with counseling for his son. So uh, his ex-wife had married a police officer who had been her bodyguard who who were a- able to alert Scottsdale police, this, this is the guy. We're sure this is the guy, and we know where he's living. And when the police then... Were, uh, went to where he was staying, he killed himself. They were able to stop that by identifying him and going there. And, of course, he had more on his list, notably his ex-wife, her husband, new husband, and possibly his son. So we realize this is the perfect case for what we want to say, why we want to say there is practicality for law enforcement and understanding spree killers. This took place over several days. They had enough time to mobilize and figure out who, who they were looking for, go find him, stop him. And so we decided to, to build a database of spree killers. We thought we were going to stop around 100. We got well over 400 from 43 countries and then applied a classification system, which had never been done for spree killers. And in that classification system, we are able to see that the kind of killer that that is what I'm talking about, where law enforcement can actually prepare, uh, was actually our largest classification. So that's our argument. The book is something we would want the FBI to see to realize spree killer belongs in the multi-site classification system. So that's a long explanation, but that's really how the book was born. Wow. Now, spree killers, now, so for people that, listening spree killer is different than a serial killer in 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 the what they're doing and also generally spree killers kind of plan on killing themselves as well isn't that right well they don't necessarily because some of them actually um just get arrested uh we're not sure if they ever had suicidal intent but what's different from a spree and serial is that you usually know who the spree killer is because they've launched into a spree the, the hard thing is just where are they now? What, you know, how do you how do you figure out where they are so you can find them and stop them? Um, they they don't have. I mean, one of the things the FBI did during this meeting was to remove one of the aspects of the serial killer definition was a cooling off period, and uh, for a, for a serial killer, and they decided to remove that because nobody really knew what that meant. But I think it actually does mean something because that is kind of a difference between serial killers and spree killers is that that cooling off period spree killers are still are sort of on the run they're they're uh, still in the grip of the precipitating incident and um, they just keep moving around until eventually they're stopped often often they get into a shootout with police is that suicidal? We really don't know for sure unless they have a suicide note in their pocket. But, yeah, a lot of them don't survive their spree, but some have and have been arrested. And 
we've had a few actually who were arrested and then hanged themselves in their prison cell, you know, within the year. So they were suicidal. But we've we've had one another one that we saw was I think in Louisiana, where this this I think he was maybe nineteen or twenty. He had been kicked out of his parents' home. He moved in with a girlfriend, and then all of a sudden his name was Dakota Thero, and all of a sudden um, apparently something went wrong. So he killed the girlfriend and her her family, took their truck, went to his parents, killed both of them. And disappeared. So law enforcement was faced with, well, we know who it is for sure. We don't know where he's going, but we do know he doesn't have much in the way of resources. So how can we figure out where he might be going? And they realized he had a grandmother a few hours away. So they were able to alert her, move her to a hotel, and then wait there at the property. And he, in fact, did drive in, and they were able to put him under arrest. So that's exactly the kind of case we're talking about. What, what tends to be uh, the, the, the key things? Like what, what causes someone to do a spree killing, a mass shooting? Is it generally something political or, or some formula like that? Well, we, we actually, when we did the classification system, we did it largely on motive. So the first, our, our largest category was anger and revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, like the Dwight Lehman Jones case in, in Arizona, he was angry at his, ex-wife, um, she had gotten full custody of their son, uh, and he, and she was actually giving him a, a load of money for, you know, in their divorce, but I don't know, he just was angry, and he'd, he'd gone on uh, YouTube or somewhere and, and done a bunch of ranting kinds of videos, so we knew that he was angry and punitive, so for him it was anger and revenge, but we have some who are on a mission. And in the mission category, we had psychotic mission and non-psychotic mission. And the non-psychotic mission tended to be more uh, political or hate crimes or something like that, where the person isn't really psychotic, but they but they still, you know, feel as if they have to eliminate a certain group of people, uh, like the guys who who go to the synagogues or something like that, or the, or the New Zealand killer who had, had gone from one place to another. Um, and they were able to stop him because he put he put his uh, whole plan onto his social media account, <laughs> which isn't very bright. But but at any rate, I guess he thought you know they wouldn't see it in time for him to complete his mission. So that was the second category. Then there's deadly desperation, and these are people who are usually cornered, they're caught, maybe living you know having said they were college professors or something, and really they weren't, and that's eventually it caught up to them and, and they just explode and start shooting people. Uh, mental illness is another category and this is this usually is you know pretty serious mental illness like psychosis. Uh, a good representative of that was Herbert Mullen in, in uh, Santa Cruz in 1972 and 73 where he decided he needed to kill 13 people in order to save California from uh, earthquake and tsunami. And so he realized he was going to get these 13, but they'd be willing sacrifices because they would uh, telepathically sing the die song to him, and then he'd kill them. As it turned out, he did get exactly 13, and California still is where it is. So maybe he wasn't so psychotic, but, <laughs> but at any rate, he certainly had a psychotic 
sort of idea about what he needed to do. Um, another very large category is robbery and thrill. Mm-hmm. We put these two together because sometimes it's really only robbery, but quite often robbery and thrill went together. So if they started out, you know, robbing a gas station and killing somebody and then went on to another one and another one, um, often the robbery and thrill kinds of stuff went together. This is the category in which we see more, most uh, where we find females involved, it's usually involved as a team on the robbery thrill uh, side of things. Like and then Stark, we had, Starkweather, for example. Well, Starkweather, um, yeah, he's he's a classic spree killer, and Carol uh, Ann Fugate went with him, but you know, and she and she then said, well, she was in fear of her life. She, I, I think that's not true because she had plenty of chances to get away if she really was in fear for her life. But, yeah, she would be like that. Um, many of the ones who were on teams didn't do any of the killings. At some point, Starkweather said, you know, he, he kept going back and forth, but he did say that she's the one who killed Carol King, which is one of the victims. And that wouldn't be so far-fetched, considering um, that she that she could have viewed Carol King as a, a rival or something, but we don't know that she killed anybody. We do have a few females one was in the psychotic category. Um, one was in what we call murder in tight locations. So it's a spree, but maybe it's in a, in, contained in a certain building, like the person went from room to room to room or to, from floor to floor to floor. And we have one woman represented there, a couple women in the psychotic categories. But mostly the females largely were in the robbery and throw categories. No, I, I was going to say, what about the Vegas shooter, you know, Stephen Paddock? Uh, they never did find a reason for him, did they? No, but he's he's considered a mass murderer. He's very pretty classic in that sense. Um, I think that even though we don't have a, a very clear reason why he did what he did, you can kind of see the build-up to just a pretty disgruntled guy who who was kind of punitive and decided... You know, he had amassed all this all this equipment. He possibly, I mean, they didn't find any kind of, of brain damage or anything like that. I mean, it, it seemed like he he was a grudge carrier. We do have people like that who just decide one day they're gonna they're gonna shoot people. But in terms of a motive, we really didn't find anything that we could put our finger on that he actually stated or that anyone he knew knew about. So no. Not at this point. So what, what kind of audience were you hoping um, you'd get from this book? Well, the, the full title is Spree Killers, Practical Classifications for Law Enforcement and Criminology. We certainly want law enforcement to be in our audience because we did this for them. We, we have a whole um, chapter in this where it's tips for law enforcement. So here we have given you the categories, we have a chapter where we analyze, we do a lot of data analytics of, you know, all the various statistics and, and groupings and whatnot. Um, but primarily, our whole thrust for this book was to show law enforcement that if they could identify the type of spree killer they're dealing with, then they could, they possibly could respond to it effectively and stop a spree before it completes itself and save some people. So that's the primary audience, but also criminology, because 
many many criminologists have gone along with the FBI idea that the spree killer really doesn't have much use to us, and we hope to change their minds in that. And then, of course, forensic psychology, because that's the field I'm in. I think that it's really important because the spree killer dynamics psychologically are quite different from a mass murderer and a serial killer. Wow. So who influenced you the most? <laughs> in my whole life? In your whole life. No, I was going to say more for the writing and for the um, – when, when you sit down to write a book, who is – Who's inspired you? Um, like, do you like other writers? I really, I really never set out to be a writer. I know, I know, a lot of writers believe, you know, from childhood, this is what I want to do. It never was something I set out to want to do. Um, but when, and in fact, the very first book I wrote was on a philosopher called Kierkegaard, and I thought I, I never want to write another book. But then I wrote um, a biography of Anne Rice and a biography of Dean Koontz, and I really enjoyed the, the commercial writing process a lot more than academics. And um, then I went undercover in the vampire subculture, and I wrote a book, and, and then it got really fun. So books, books upon books, I have, an, I think, now around 67 books. Um, wow. For a person who never wanted to be a writer, it looks like I did want to be a writer. After all, <laughs> who influenced me? I guess my favorite writer was Dostoevsky. But again, I didn't aspire to be a writer, so I can't say that that was an influence on my decision to do this. Was it crime and punishment I, specifically? Well, no, actually, that that's my least favorite of his. Oh. I like the brothers Karamazov. I like the idiot far better than Crime and Punishment. I Ooh. thought Crime and Punishment just wasn't was not well done. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Olive and June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at oliveandjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at oliveandjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. 
Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. <laughs> I know I, I'm in the minority on that because it's <laughs> well. the classic, but Brothers Karamazov is far better book, I think. What do you think your your biggest accomplishment is, or you're you're most proud of? I think the book I did with Dennis Rader, where I spent five years, um, you know, getting at the heart of a serial killer's developmental trajectory, the story he wanted to tell about himself and his and his crimes, um, was very intense, and I, I kind of put that together with another book right before I got the opportunity to write with Raider, I had written a book called The Mind of a Murderer, where I looked back over a century of what psychologists had brought to the table in terms of studying extreme offenders, you know, mass murderers or serial killers, or spree killers, and I had found a dozen cases of psychologists or some kind of mental health expert who had spent a, a great deal of time with somebody with one of the, the killers and really plumbed the depths and as that book was going to publication suddenly I got the opportunity to do exactly what I had just been studying so I think that pair of books is probably the greatest contribution that I that I have done in my writing that's what I would guess in the new spree killer book um, what did you like most about it well, you know, it was funny because when we first started putting together, we just said, let's look at some other cases, which we did, and then it just kept growing. Like, we'd have 25, and then the next week we'd have 45, and then it was up to 100. And, and I said, you know, I think this could be, could be a book. <laughs> I contacted an editor that I'd recently worked with at CRC Press and said, do you think this could be a book? He said, yeah, we're, we're interested, and we just kept collecting cases. And I'll, I'll say it right now, Mark did the majority. He, he contacted people in, in law enforcement in other countries that he had worked with. And, you know, before I knew it, we had 43 countries represented in this. We were both astonished. I got a, a student of mine to do an independent study where she helped us with all the, the Excel charts and all the data analytics of this. It just it just kept growing and growing, and what was kind of exciting was we were really working with raw material, and I think that's what I always like about writing. I don't want to do stuff I've already done. I don't want to do stuff that other people have already done. I want to I want to plow through new territory because there's a, a real amazing sense of of raw experience when you're very close to information that nobody's really ever you know, put through the process of, of analysis and theory and all of that. You, you're, you're really there. You're a pioneer. You're exploring on your own and, you know, figuring this stuff out for yourself. And I find that the most exciting aspect of writing. If I'm, like with, with Dennis Rader, I created the guided autobiography 
I knew what, the kind of story I wanted to tell. There wasn't any genre for it. Um, so I made one. And that, that's exciting. That's the fun part of writing is you're, you're creating something that has not been done before. You're putting it into expression to communicate with others. And hopefully that communication is going to end up being important in some manner. And if it, and if it does become important, you've accomplished something. Were you surprised at how many spree killers there were? That you, how many cases you were finding? Um, not not so surprised as I think I was more surprised at the diversity among them in terms of their motives and whatnot. I mean, I, I figured there I figured there probably were at least a hundred. I didn't think there'd be over four hundred, yeah. <laughs> and that's counting them, you know, as teens. So of the of the spree incidents, it was three hundred and twenty nine and four hundred and nineteen killers because some of the some of the teams were even five people. You know, we had a few. I think there was one in um, Pittsburgh that was five people or something like that. But no, I, I guess it wasn't. I didn't really think about how many spree, spree killers there were, so it wasn't a surprise. But I think that was a surprise that we actually ended up having enough material for a book. And this is not the kind of book a true crime reader is going to want. It's not a narrative. It's more of a reference kind of book. I mean, you'll get every single killer has at least a paragraph of what he did. A few of them get longer, like Starkweather is a good example, get longer renditions um, because, because they represent a certain type and they represent it well. So they might get two or three pages. It's not, it's not like a true crime narrative, you know, where you get this beginning, middle, and end. It's really lists and lists within classification systems analyzed. So our primary uh, audience is really law enforcement and criminologists. Do you think law enforcement needs more training in this area then? or? De- absolutely. Because they're already, they've already been told by the FBI this isn't, this isn't worth their time, this the, you know, the, we don't even want this category in the books anymore. And now we want to retrain them to think differently because we, they have actually put our procedures into place without realizing it. So the one with uh, the Dakota Thoreau case, they've, they're faced with, you know, five people dead, a truck missing, a gun missing. Where is this guy going? Who's next? And they have to plan and think proactively about how to, first of all, protect potential people in this person's pathway, but also how can they stop them? And they did a good job with that. So I think they're, they already kind of get it, but if we were able to give them, and we've, we've presented this already to some conferences where law enforcement were present, and they, they do find the tips to be very useful. Now, when you say uh, spree killers from around the world, um, do, do you find that um, spree killers in other countries do it differently? Well, that was interesting because that was Mark thought that was what it was going to be. He thought you would not find spree killers using guns, and he was wrong. We we actually found a lot of spree killers using guns. I think the only place they didn't was perhaps the UK. They use knives more yeah. <laughs> often than anything else, but. Um, we were surprised, and also he thought we were going to find uh, an older group 
of spree, the spree toys would be older in other countries, but that turned out not to be the case either. So, so we get these stereotypes playing in our head of the kind of person you might think would be a spree killer, and we, we got very surprised. There was one guy, I think one of my favorite cases was this, and, and terrible case at that, but in terms of it being extremely unique, when I say favorite, I mean because it stands out to me, um, was a guy, oh, I can't think of it, which country it was, um, but he had worked in a, uh, like a center for disability where, where people, it was a residential center, and he formed this idea that um, these people should be eliminated because it would save the government money, and that money could be put to more productive uses. He began to write letters to the, to officials the, about this idea, and he proposed himself as the agent of this that he that he would be happy to go and eliminate all these people on behalf of the government, and everybody would be better off, including the the disabled people. Well, they they brought him in thinking, oh my God, this guy's this guy's got problems, and they evaluated him, and he was he was you know held for a couple months, and then eventually they really couldn't keep holding him for any reason, and he went right out and he put his plan in place. He started. He went to one of the places he had been working at, and and went from room to room killing people with I think an axe or something. Oh wow! It's a horrible case. But what a bizarre notion that a person, and we, he, in the mentally ill chapter for good reason, what a bizarre notion that he's doing the state a favor by saving them money on people that he sees as being of no worth. And that, and so, oh no, he's in the admission. He's in the mission category because he had this mission but he's in the psychotic part of the mission category because his plan is absolutely, you know, detached from any sense of humanity. But he firmly believed he was right. He was justified in this mission. And so he stands out to me in part because for him, the clarity of his plan was, you know, so distinct from the the typical thing that we see in spree killers who are usually kind of compelled into their spree. For him, it was planned out. He got weapons. He knew exactly how to disable the the, um, people at the door, which door to go in, um, what time of night would be best. The clarity of his plan was really distinct from what you would ordinarily think of as a spree killer. And and he really was psychotic, but still so rational in the way he was going about doing it. So he stands out to me as a really unusual case, but he's definitely a spree killer. Wow. So what what else have you got in the works now for you? Well, I'm doing edits right now on uh, How to Catch a Serial Killer, a book that will probably be coming out in the spring, and I have 30 cases where uh, law enforcement or forensic innovation really made the difference in how a serial killer was identified and captured. Wow. 
Well, we, we're going to have Mark Safrick on the show next week, so uh, any, se- oh, good. Well, any, any secrets? <laughs> you have any? Have um, any? You know, he'll be, he'll be great. What are you going to have him talk about, this uh, book? Well, probably the book, probably some of his other work. Um, do you have, yeah. any, have any good so, se- secrets about him? Or? <laughs> I'd never tell if I did. Are you kidding? Oh. Mark is uh, good, good for you. Don't throw your co-writer <laughs> out of the box. Uh, uh, I tell you, though, he was great to work with. Um, because, you know, he, he hadn't written a book before. Um, and I'm, I'm a type of writer, like, I just want to get this done and get this off my plate. And so, my other co-writers have always talked about the whip I hold over their head. <laughs> and in a way, I'm like that because I should get this done, let's move. And Mark was very good about that. I mean, he, he, even though he's also learning the process along the way, um, which is, is his own challenge, you know, he was very good about here. You know, here's a case, here's a case. What do you think about this case? Um, he was great to work with. He's a really good uh, co-author. I'm very happy we have this book. I feel really, really uh, privileged to have worked with him. And so, yeah, no, no secrets. I think oh. I think he was fabulous. Well, <laughs> I have I have one question. I'm just about to write my first book. As a first okay. time, yeah, as a first time true crime writer, what is your advice? Do you have anything, any piece of advice that you can give me? Well, is it a true crime narrative type of book that you want readers to be hooked by and is a page turner type or, or is it more, can you it's give a, me a little bit more? It's a compendium, so I'm going to be writing 25 different true crime stories in short form. Okay. Yeah, so a little more narrative. Well, often good if you have an arc of some kind that holds those narratives together rather than just one after another. So, Mm -hmm. um, for example, when I wrote a book with Greg McCrary, another former profiler, he had a a number of cases he wanted to write about. So we created it into an arc that that spanned his career and showed you what he was learning along the way. So that by the time he got to a certain part of of his life and, and he was prepared for a very difficult international serial killer case because of what he had done earlier in his life. So you get, so even though you get distinctly different cases, you get that, that string all the way through that this is about his perspective and the things he's learning from it. So if there's a way to do that, I don't know if you have a, a theme that ties them together. Yeah, um, well. I don't know what you want to give away, but. Um, <laughs> I'd rather not give away too much, but that is what okay. exactly the thing that I'm struggling with right now. So you you hit that right on the head. So that's interesting. Well, you know, the best way to find the theme is to immerse deeply, and then um, you know, like do do a bunch of immersion before you go to sleep. Let your brain. I actually wrote a whole book on this. It's called it's uh, called Snap, seizing your aha moment. And it's a whole book on what you can do to to get yourself to the point where you, you receive those amazing insights. And I've had that happen to me. What I do is I, I cram and then I go for a walk and my brain just snaps out the stuff I need. So usually the best thing to do is rather, rather than try really hard on it is, is to put, put it all in, into your brain like a, like a salad and let your brain mix it around and deliver it to you organically what the theme would be that's a great idea i've come up with a few things practicing that sort of 
not as consciously as you mentioned in Snap, but mm-hmm. I think I, I need to read that book. <laughs> are you working with an editor, or or this? Yeah, I am. I'm working. Okay. I'm working with Harper Collins. So, well, your editor should be able to give you some some sense of direction as to what. I mean, if they've already if they've already contracted the book, they should have some idea of what they're hoping yeah. for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, your editor might be able to, but even if they don't, it still should come from within you if you really want the joy of writing and discovery to happen during the process of writing um, it really should come from within you and it's there it's just a matter of letting it come out cool well thank you there you go you're welcome now you're now you're ready <laughs> ready to go <laughs> well, well good luck <laughs> thank you well it's been amazing it's always good to talk to you um, again our guest has been Catherine Ramsland thank you for being here Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.